Welcome to Protagonist Exchange, formerly QT with JC. If you're wondering, something's a little different here, it's because we changed our name. We chose Protagonist Exchange after reading Chris's Vivid, Pope Francis' encyclical to young adults, and were inspired by his words, challenging us to be pioneers of change and hope in the world. And that is what we hope this podcast is and becomes more fully, a place to inspire hope and growth in your faith. I'm Max Linville, campus minister at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas. Here today with Nicole Labadee, director of campus ministry, and Darnell Miller, Catholic Outreach. We have a fun show for you today. We are celebrating as another UST student pursues a religious life. Adrian Fonseca, a grad of the class of 2020, has just joined the Order, order of Preachers, the, the Dominicans. We are taking this chance to share his vocation story. In part one, Nicole tells us about her relationship with Mother Mary and how it changed over the years. In part two, Darnell talks about Adrian Fonseca, talks with Adrian Fonseca about his vocation in the Dominicans and growing up Catholic. And in part three, we have Who's That Saint? We learn about the crazy life of St. Vincent Ferrer. And all this is happening right here, right now. So stick around. For much of my childhood and adolescence, I didn't really understand Marian devotions. I remember one year as a middle schooler, I believe, I challenged myself to pray a rosary a day. And I remember about a week into it, I got really bored. Um, and I wasn't really understanding the purpose of all these repetitive prayers. Um, and I think I maybe made it halfway through Lent. Um, and I didn't attempt really praying the rosary or getting into it again until later in high school on a teen acts retreat. If you know anything about teen acts or if you've been on it, you know that um, you don't share what exactly happens on the retreat, um, but there is a very meaningful moment as part of it um, where we learned and encountered um, the person of Mary in a new way. Um, and part of that um, sort of telling the story um, of the Annunciation from Mary's perspective, um, I learned that a deeper meaning of praying the rosary, that just like we ask our friends or family uh, here on earth to pray for us and for our particular intentions, um, we ask our mother Mary to pray for us, knowing that as the mother of Jesus, as the mother of God, she is in heaven and able to intercede for us um, and able to speak to Christ um, because she's so close to him. What is it about Mary that makes her so worthy of our attention or admiration? It's her fiat, it's her yes to God. She's invited to play such a special role in salvation history in bearing Jesus. And her yes to God is so complete that she literally bears God to the world. She bears Christ to the world. Um, she gives a full and complete yes, um, as we are called and invited to do as well in our lives as disciples. We're called to bear Christ to the world. So fast forward about a decade and I'm married with a child on the way in my third trimester, feeling very anxious about labor and delivery and keeping a newborn alive. I was pregnant with my son, Levi. Um, and so during my third trimester, during my uh, commutes, I began praying the rosary. Um, and I think it was because I was feeling anxiety as a mom and um, I began to relate to Mary and her motherhood. Um, and I noticed that each day, um, as I would pray the rosary, as I approached my due date, I would felt more and more peace. 
Um, praying the rosary really um, brought that sense of peace to the unknowns. I really connected to Mary as mother. Um, and in those sleepless nights with a newborn, the repetition um, of the rosary gave me peace and rest. Uh, and fun fact to this day, whenever my son Levi has trouble falling asleep, um, my go-to is praying the rosary. Um, it brings him peace and helps him to fall asleep fast. Part two, this summer, Adrian Fonseca joined the Dominican order. So, so Darnell sat down with him to learn what led him down that path. Uh, my name is Adrian Fonseca and I am a graduated class of 2020 at the University of St. Thomas, and I'm going to be a Dominican. So the first thing I want to ask you about is your discernment process. So you decided to become a Dominican, but when did you, when did you start to see the, uh, the seeds towards this discernment in your life? Was this something that happened recently or was this something that was kind of cultivated throughout your life? Yeah, I mean, uh, growing up Catholic is kind of a um, pretty common thing for that to just be present, the idea of becoming a priest. Uh, so it wasn't completely foreign to me growing up. Um, we have had good, well-respected uh, priest um, in our lives, and we respected uh, the office of the priesthood uh, growing up. So it wasn't like the scary thing that uh, people didn't want to do. Uh, that wasn't kind of the way I grew up. But um, I guess it was probably most clearly uh, when I was in middle school, I kind of knew I wanted to uh, serve in the church in some capacity. I personally thought it was going to be um, in youth ministry, something like that. Um, but then in high school, I went on a discernment retreat with the Bazillion Fathers. Um, when I, I graduated, I went to St. Thomas High School, which was a Bazillion-run high school as well. Uh, so I went from St. Thomas to St. Thomas, uh, from Bazillion to Bazillion, you know, <laughs> and then ended up a Dominican. <laughs> um, but the, the while, while I was there at the retreat, um, it just felt like uh, there was, and I don't want to come off as um as rude, but it was kind of lax. They're very relaxed, uh, which is just kind of how the Brazilians are. They're very relaxed. And it just seemed like something that I didn't want to sacrifice the great good of marriage for, um, because uh, I, one thing uh, people think is uh, people who are called to the priesthood are not attracted to women, uh, <laughs> are, are not uh, desiring married life. That is far from true. <laughs> so I was very much, um, was like ah, i don't know if this is like the sacrifice i want to make i want to give up everything give up the potential of having a wife and having kids um for for this um and, but then i started meeting dominicans in college um and dominicans were like they're very uh, all the ones that i've met were very strong in their faith very traditional very orthodox they wore their habits um just the outward sign of their habit being worn all the time uh, was a great uh, gift uh, so that's kind of what attracted me initially to the Dominicans and then going to speak with them and learning about them, learning about the mission of the Dominicans and always having this love for St. Thomas Aquinas, who was, who was a Dominican or is a Dominican still, um, 
having that connection uh, with a Dominican um, was really, those, those kind of things kind of culminated into um, the direction I was going. What was it like growing up Catholic? Um, how did your, how does, what was your family experience with the church like? Um, and, and how much did your family influence the way you, you viewed your, your faith growing up? The most influential thing on um, my life as a Catholic is the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, and so the people who I think uh, deserve the credit for like any good thing that I've done, um, it has to be related to our, the Blessed Mother. And so primarily I would say my mom. Um, my mom told me that whenever I was born, she uh, consecrated me to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, and my mom grew up, she was part of Legion of Mary, still is part of Legion of Mary. Um, and so my mom initially um, was the biggest catalyst for me um, because of the just the Marian devotion. Uh, and I didn't really have a Marian devotion until I was already out of high school. I kind of thought it was rather silly um, and very um, childish to have this Marian devotion. And in a way I was right, it, was, it is kind of childish, but um, what does our Lord say? But uh, those who uh, are like a child will be the ones who come to me, right? Um, so, and the, I think that's what it kind of boiled down to. I was too uh, prideful and arrogant of my own, um, my own intellect, I guess. Um, and I was like, Eh, I don't need that. And so having a Marian devotion in our family just kind of fulminated that. And then finally, when I was finally mature enough to um, recognize the beauty of a Marian devotion, it was already there in our life. Uh, we had images of Our Lady surrounding us. Um, we had rosaries at every corner of our home. Um, it just, it was just, it was easy for me to go into uh, once it was there. Um, and then I have uh, a bunch of friends like uh, Mr. Gabriel Castillo, um, his YouTube channel, Gaby After Hours, uh, seeing his video on praying the four rosaries a day um, was really impactful on me. And then he, uh, then I found out he lived in Houston and I got to meet him and we become really good friends. Um, and so he's been a great impact in my life um, in terms of like increasing my Marian devotion. Um, and then of course, Secrets of the Rosary by St. Louis de Mumford. Uh, that really got me into my spiritual life of actually praying versus before the extent of my spiritual life was reading theological material um, and then reading uh, uh, Secrets of the Rosary kind of got me to actually get into the spiritual life of it. I think that's really interesting right there that what you said about the moving from <clears throat> the from the very intellectual aspect of the faith into the practice of the spiritual life. Well, I want to dive into that a little bit more because I do think that um, I think especially at the age of college, right? Because I, I went through the same thing at that point of like, oh, I, I know these things and therefore that's mm -hmm. what it is. But then like that kind of realization of like, that's part of it, but like mm -hmm. there's actual practice of how Absolutely. we do into our life. Um, and I think a lot of guys go through that. I, I think that's a, that's, that's part of men's journey in the faith. But so, um, so you mentioned St. Louis de Montfort, but was there anything else that really helped spur you along? from taking it from, from your head into your heart, into the way you practiced it? Uh, honestly, the it really was um, the St. Louis de Montfort. Like I recommend his works to everybody. In fact, we're allowed to take five books with us to the novitiate, uh, which is really nerve wracking. Like you see my little shelf over here in the corner, uh, all these book or theology books are related to spiritual life and things like that. Um, and that's just part of my collection. We're moving soon. So half my books are in boxes put away, but these are the ones that I wanted to keep with me in my room. 
Um, so I have to pick five books to take with me. And one of the books I'm taking is The Complete Works of St. Louis de Montfort, which is like this big. Um, and yeah, his, his work on True Devotion to Mary, Secrets of the Rosary, Secrets of Mary, um, all these books is just, um, it, it goes beyond, because it's, it's one thing to, because I've read books on um, the Marian dogmas, mm-hmm. and that's one thing to know about the Marian dogmas, but it's another thing to have a relationship with Our Lady. Um, and it was that relationship with Our Lady that really kind of, um, coming closer to Our Lady brings you closer to Christ necessarily. Just like if you are closer to a light, you start squinting because the light's too bright in your eyes. Um, and then you start getting heat. So you start heating up the closer you are to the source of the light. And so Our Lady, who is the closest one to the source of all light, the source of all um, goodness and grace, has the most grace. And so being close to her necessarily means being close to her son. So um, I really would say that that was the biggest thing in my life. And my life has been, ever since then, uh, very Marian. Uh, And my entire spiritual life it's very straightforward, uh, dedicated to our the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, praying the rosary every day. Um, it's really, those are, that's the biggest thing for me. I mean, there's a, a bunch of other things, um, but I would consider them um, less important to me. Uh, so like praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet, I'll pray it every now and then, especially when I'm with people who have that devotion. Um, I'll pray uh, the breviary because I had to kind of going to get have to do that now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and things like that. So there's a lot of little things that I do on top of that, but um, the rosary, I think, uh, and then the Holy Sacrifice and the mass, of course. Um, I've learned how to serve mass over the course of the last about year and a half, two years. Uh, before that, I'd never actually served mass. Um, and that do going to daily mass and adoration, those, I guess those three things would be the most important things, it would be the rosary, adoration, and daily mass. Mm-hmm. So I wanna get into a little bit of uh of your education. So you, you attended two Basilian schools, you studied theology. Um, what were, what were your, your minors? You, Cause you, you majored in theology, correct? Right. So my major was in theology and in communication. So I had two uh, bachelor degrees and then my minor was in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So what did you take from your education experience uh, that helped to form you to, and prepare you for, for this next step in your life? Yeah, the the one thing that really struck me about um, going to university was how um, how theology is not what I thought it was. <laughs> I thought I was going to be learning about um, like the sacramentals. I thought I was going to be learning about like um, Marian uh, apparitions and all these things and not at all. Didn't learn anything like that at all. It was very much um, Christological heresies, um, learning about the uh, how to, um, took a whole class on the Trinity, um, learn about ecclesiology, the way the church works, um, and uh, what is the theology of, what does it mean to be church, um, these kind of things. And so it was very, very different than I was expecting, um, but it was uh, very informative. I learned a lot going through that experience. Um, in terms of uh, my other degrees, philosophy, I kind of wish, uh, looking back, that I actually got a philosophy degree. Um, but at the time, I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. But um, it seems um, back in um, Thomas's time, like St. Thomas Aquinas, he the kind of the way you approach theology was you had to have a foundation in philosophy primarily and then and only then you got into theology um with the expectation that you would become a master of the sacred text meaning you would learn scripture so that would be the pinnacle um and uh i kind of 
skipped over philosophy a little bit and only took uh, a few philosophy courses. And I kind of wish I had a greater foundation in philosophy, um, which is uh, I've just been blessed with um, befriending a lot of our philosophy professors and having them um, having them help me along in that direction. But yeah, so I learned a lot in that way as well. But yeah, I think uh, the college experience primarily though, I think the thing that's most important and what I gained the most out of was relationships with my professors. Um, because uh, like for instance, Sister Chow Nguyen or Teresa Marie, she um, was one of the theology professors and she's been, a, and she's a Dominican um, and she was uh, one of the greatest influences on my uh, discernment. Um, and so like Dr. Rebart in the philosophy department, he's also one of the people who really um, changed the way I thought, the way I looked at life um, in the way that I um, look at my faith. Uh, he's very Marian um, and he's uh, one of the people who kind of helped me understand the traditional mass better. Um, and so, yeah, so relationships with the professors, I think are some of the most important things um, about the University of St. Thomas and just uh, my college experience, yeah. Nice, nice. And so now you're joining the 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 Dominicans. What was what was like the ceiling where you're just like, yes, it's this, it's them that I'm going to join. Like the decision to not go um, diocesan, to not go to mm -hmm. any other particular order, but the but the the Dominicans in particular. How did how did that come about? Mm -hmm. So choosing the Dominicans over other communities was actually kind of the easy part. Uh, it was making the decision to join anything at all <laughs> was the hard part because the Dominicans um they, it just lines up really well with my um spirituality and my um charisms as a person um so the charisms of the Dominican order they're actually Dominicans it's kind of like kind of a nickname that they have because it's you know named after Saint Dominic the founder um and also kind of a pun uh Domine Canis which is the hounds of the Lord um but the actual name is the order of preachers um and so that's kind of their mission is preaching the gospel of uh, the salvation of souls. Uh, so that's kind of their uh, mission. Um, they have three different mottos, which is um, uh, to praise, to bless, and to preach. Veritas, which is uh, truth, um, and to contemplate and to share the fruits of the contemplation. Um, so those kind of things are kind of, we're already kind of part of my spirituality. And so having, having that solidified in the Dominican order was... Um, was very easy for me to choose. I went over and visited the Canons Regular St. John Cantius in Chicago, and they have beautiful church. Oh my gosh, a beautiful church, stunning liturgies. Oh my goodness, I was like blown away. But I was very uh, clearly, I was like, this is not for me because um, while I love the liturgy, and that's one of the things that I think are most important in my spirituality, um, the their life outside of liturgy for me personally um, was like I was saying about the Brazilians. It was, it was a little too laxed. Um, they were just, they're very, um, playful with one another, which is good, all, all good things. Um, and, but they're, um, it was just, there's something, there's just some kind of feeling I got that was very casual, um, where I, when I was visiting Dominicans, everything was very, um, I wouldn't say serious, but there is a, um, an air of, of a goal in mind. Um, that was permeating throughout. And I think the reason might be because, um, Dominican order is just older uh, canons regular St. John Cantus have only been around for 20, 30 years, maybe. Um, whereas the Dominican order, we just celebrated our 800th anniversary. Um, and so having this like grand tradition and these the saints to look up to that are our brothers um, in the Dominican order, having this, uh, the gravitas of that um, just kind of 
weighs down on you, having a proven way of holiness. Um, that was just, it was a simple choice for me personally. Um, yeah. I always saw the canons as a kind of midway point between the CFRs and the Dominicans. Like they're not <laughs> quite as like, cause like, I feel like Franciscans are pretty like, I mean, I always think Franciscans are like the hippies of like hippies for Christ. Like, um, not <laughs> well, in the bad way. Well, they have some really, really uh, traditional Franciscans. Mm-hmm. Um, like they're the the Franciscans of the Immaculate Conception. I think very traditional Dominicans. They do the traditional mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, sorry, not Dominicans, Franciscans, and uh, very traditional Franciscans. Yeah, they do the traditional mass, and they're very true to the uh, charisms of the Franciscan order. Um, they all have amazing beards. <laughs> and one of the reasons why I couldn't be a Franciscan is I can't grow facial hair. You can't grow facial hair, hair like that. <laughs> but or like, Dominicans were like, clean shaven. <laughs> there you go. But I do feel like like the CFR in particular, right? Be, like uh, um, like the, the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, like they are very much like of the people in the streets. Like, like they wear jeans and Birkenstocks essentially under their habits. Um, and I feel like the like the canons were like they're not they're definitely not that, but they're not right. quite as like I feel like they're like all like and I because they're like 30, a thirty year old order I felt like they're all like in like they're all guys that seem like in their mid twenties that are mm-hmm. it's something kind of like fr- it's not fratty but fraternal about it. Right. They're trying to um, I think they're trying to figure out what who, they want to be and they haven't yeah. figured it out a hundred percent yet. I think um, so, and I do, and yeah. I do think that they, but they do, but they are a very young order, and a lot of the people in that order are very young too. Right, definitely. And so I do think like this next generation is going to be really interesting to see because they're they're building that foundation. So, absolutely. And one of the good things about joining an order like that, um, which is something I did not want to do, but is a good thing for pe- certain people, mm-hmm. is you really have a role in actually forming the community like and what you it's have supposed a, to be right and like showing and having your hand in what it's going to be in the future um and i personally didn't want to do that i just wanted to be part of something that had a proven path of holiness um but for some people it's very attractive to be able to say i can go here and i can actually change the foundation of like where this is going um whereas the dominicans you have really no way of doing that because yeah, it's so old you just you, yeah you're not gonna you're not gonna change <laughs> the uh the whole path of the dominican order it's not possible <laughs> yeah yeah and so tell me a little bit about um about the the dominicans the 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 order you're joining um kind of you, you mentioned some of their charisms but i want to just get a little bit deeper into just like a little bit of the history that way we can include that in in the podcast and the story of like what, who they are, what they stand for, the whys, and all that. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Dominican Order, of course, started with Saint Dominic. Saint Dominic uh, was a was a great saint uh, who it was kind of amazing. So his uh, mother had a vision uh, while she was dreaming. She had a vision of um, she was pregnant with her child, uh, and all of a sudden uh, her womb burst open, and a dog with a torch in his mouth burst out of her, her womb and ran around the forest, lighting the world on fire. Um, and she went to her priest and was like, father, what on earth did I, what, what was this? And she said, um, that, that was her son. Her son would, um, would burst from her womb and would be lighting the world on fire for Christ, uh, bringing the light of Christ around the world. And so the Dominican order was founded. So St. Dominic was actually a Norbertine priest. So if you ever see a Norbertine priest, um, they wear a white habit, um, very much similar to the Dominican order. Um, and that's because St. Dominic was a Norbertine. Um, in fact, the rule of St. Dominic, um, which is the rule we follow our life, 
um, is Augustinian because um, the Norbertines were Augustinians. And so they have very similar uh, rules of life um, in that, in that way. Um, and then the, so, and so they, and then Our Lady actually gave one of the Dominicans a scapular. And so that's why the Dominicans have a scapular and the um, Norbertines do not. Um, and then the Dominicans also, St. Dominic was given the Holy Rosary by Our Lady. Um, and she told uh, him to use, to pray her Psalter and to preach her Psalter. And that through the Psalter, um, the world would be converted. Um, through specifically, she actually says, through the uh, Rosary and the Brown Scapular. Mm-hmm. Um, that she will save the world. And she said that to St. Dominic, who met with St. Simon Stock, who was given the brown scapular. Um, and so it's kind of interesting that that kind of uh, relationship happened um, at the same time that these saints, it's really cool to look at the history of saints and see how like saints got to like meet each other and they knew each other. Like St. Dominic, um, St. Francis of Assisi and St. Simon Stock, uh, there's, a, there's a legend that they all met up on a street corner one day um, just randomly and they all recognized each other immediately even though had, they had never seen each other before. Um, and immediately they started prophesying to one another about each other's orders. Um, it was pretty, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, so the Dominicans, that's kind of, uh, they were founded to fight the Albigensian heresy. Uh, the Albigensian heresy, though, was very much rooted in the, um, the division of the body and the soul, um, denying uh, the, phys- the physicality. Uh, and so trying to raise up kind of very, very Gnostic in origin. Um, and we kind of have that same duality in today's culture. Uh, we see it in the transgender movement where we kind of say, I'm not my body. Um, it, whenever, um, whatever I choose to be is with my reality. Um, and that's very much combated by the Holy Rosary because the Holy Rosary, you're meditating on the life of Christ, his passion, his scourging, um, the crowning of thorns, have the blood of Christ running down his face. Um, and these kind of things, you're just like, you look at that and you say, how is the body not important? How is the body not fundamental to who we are when our Lord experienced life in his body? Um, and so the rosary is very much tied into the Dominican order. Um, and that's why we wear a rosary on our hip, uh, specifically on the right side where we would draw our sword, um, or rather, I'm sorry, left side where we draw our sword because you'd raise your right hand across, draw your sword. Um, and so you would reach to the right hand side and you'd pull out your rosary. Um, and so that kind of thing. So the 15 decade rosary is the uh, the full rosary um, that our Lord, Our Lady gave to um, St. Dominic. And so we actually wear a 15 decade rosary um, on our habit. So now can you just take some time to walk me through what the, the formation process of the Dominicans is going to look like for you? I know you said you didn't have mm-hmm. all the information, but if you can give us just the, the rough step by step. Right, so I can give you the, the process. Uh, I don't know the specifics, but I can definitely tell you the process. Uh, so it kind of starts off um, when you're a you're an aspirancy, um, and that's whenever you're kind of um, you're applying and you're going through the process, um, and then at that point you become a. Uh, so traditionally you have a postulancy, and the Dominican sisters still retained a postulancy, but the Dominican brothers and the America, anyways, uh, we kind of did away with the postulancy. So we kind of have like a two week postulancy, um, which is like a basically a two week retreat that we kind of do when we first enter. And then after that, we enter novitiate, and then we'll be a novice. Um, on August 8th, actually, we will receive our habit, which is the Feast of St. Dominic. Um, and actually, the Feast of St. Dominic is also on August 4th, um, but we wanted to add in another saint. So he actually died on August 6th. Uh, so it's kind of funny. So, <laughs> But anyway, so we... Um, and so from there, we have a year-long novitiate, and that's kind of a time where we are in prayer and we are trying to 
uh, discern the will of God and decide if this is actually the path that he wants us on. Um, so within that year of novitiate, we're actually allowed to leave at any point in that year because we take no vows at all. Um, so it's purely voluntary. Um, and so they could actually kick me out at any point during that period and I could leave at any point in that period. So if they decide, Adrian, you're a little wacky, um, we don't like you, you're out. Um, I could go home that way. Or if I decide, you know, I don't think that this is for me, I could be home um, in two months uh, or two weeks even. Um, I was told that they had one guy who was there for a week and knew immediately that this was not for him and he went home. Um, so it's uh, that's totally an availability. Um, so I could be home in a year, <laughs> within the next year. Um, but then after that one year, you make temporary vows. And at, at that point, you make two year long vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And at that point, you're basically, you're stuck for, a, for two years. I say stuck, but you're there for two years. Um, so if you decide within that period that you uh, want to leave, um, then you must, uh, you have to wait until that two year period is over because you have taken vows. Um, and, uh, and of course they could kick you out too, but they have to wait for those two years to be up. And then they basically just do not offer you, um, further vows. So you take temporary vows, uh, two times, um, with the option of taking it a third time if you need to. Um, but most people don't take it a third time because then that extends your process by two more years. Uh, most people don't want to do that. Um, and so you will take four years basically of temporary vows. And after that point, you'll make permanent vows or solemn vows. Um, and at that point, you are a Dominican for life. Um, and so that's it's very much like getting married. At that point, you're married to your spouse until death do you part. The same way uh, when you take solemn vows, you are, um, you're stuck with the order uh, for better or for worse. Um, and so at that point, you, you're there and um, I'll be there for the rest of my life if I persevere to final vows. Um, but the friars were very um, clear on telling me uh, before I entered, don't burn bridges, um, don't sell everything you have because um, we don't want you to only stay because you've burned all your bridges and there's no nothing left for you back at home. Um, and so, they, uh, so it's, they're very much saying, you may not persevere, so don't um, burn all your bridges and get rid of everything. Um, and once you make solemn professions, then we'll sell everything you have and, and then you can um, give the money to the community, give away all your stuff, that kind of thing. Uh, so that's kind of how the process looks. Um, and then after my novitiate year, after when I start taking temporary vows, I'll be at the Dominican House of Studies where we, so we don't really call ourselves seminarians. Uh, we're more, we call ourselves student brothers. Um, and so we, uh, I'll be a student brother for roughly six years. Um, and I'll be at the House of Studies during that period, um, unless they send me somewhere else to do uh, higher studies. Um, since I already have a bachelor's in theology, I don't know how that's going to work exactly um, in a minor in philosophy. So I don't know if they're going to keep, if there's just something different or I'm just going to have to take the same classes again. Not sure, um, but I'll find out. Um, obedient. So I'll take the classes again if I have to. No big deal. Um, but so from that process, there'll be six years. Most uh, Dominicans end up getting their master's in something. Um, and most even end up in getting a doctorate in something as well. Um, and then from there, I'll have a pastoral year. So they'll send me to a parish. Uh, I'll be ordained uh, around my seventh or eighth year. Um, and then from that point, then I'll be um, assigned to a job, whether it's um, working on a podcast and, and YouTube channel or teaching at a university or working at a parish, um, anything from any kind of thing that they have all on the East Coast. I think they also have a mission in Uganda, I think. I could be wrong about that, so don't quote me on that. Um, but they... Um, 
they have missions uh, outside of the US and they could send me there as well. Um, and it's all on obedience. So I have a say, I can uh, suggest like what I would like to do, but ultimately um, they have the freedom to send me wherever they please. Mm -hmm. So as you, as you approach this, what are you, what are your, what are your hopes for the future? Like what makes you excited about this? What makes you a little nervous about this? Like, mm -hmm. how are you sitting with everything that's about to happen? Yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of feelings going on. Um, it's a lot of fear, I guess, fear of the unknown because it, it is, is so unknown. Like I was saying, I'm, I really don't know how the process works. I know the general steps now. I didn't know the general steps a few months ago. Um, and so knowing the specifics, I have no idea what I'm getting into. Um, I don't even know the names of my brothers. Um, I have to, I'm going to get it, change my name, um, to a name and I don't know what I'm going to be, what I'm going to take. So there's just so much unknown and it's kind of scary. Um, at the same time, it's um, I'm excited and I'm very happy to be doing this. Um, so I guess that's kind of what I'm what I'm feeling at the moment. It's kind of it's very different um, experience because uh, people ask, oh, I mean, you're you're gonna stay. You you know this is for you, right? I'm like, oh, I mean, I think it is, but I don't I'm not 100% sure because like it's just so I just I don't know. Um, but Saint Thomas actually writes in his in the Summa about um, about joining. Uh, religious life and he said that um, it, it is a good thing for you to just jump in and do it um, and then if it's not doesn't work out then it doesn't work out but there's a virtue in joining uh, doing it unknown unknowingly um, trusting and just joining um, so it is very much um, a leap of faith uh, at this point um, because I, it's so much unknown um, I have hopes I have uh, ideas um, but I have no expectations I expect nothing um, because really uh, a lot of it's going to be just me um, working out obedience. Um, and so I think that'll be the thing that, that I most struggle with, um, I think. Um, and so I think uh, for that kind of way of life, uh, it's just, uh, that's kind of the, where I'm at right now, uh, fear, excitement, um, and hope in, in what our Lord has planned for me in my life. I do, I do think that, I, li I like that. I'm, I'm not sure if you ever had occasion to meet Father Callum, who was one of the Basilians on campus. I, I think he, I think they moved him back up to Canada before before you came, but on Fridays, they had tea time with Father Callum in campus ministry. And I, I remember the question, the question of discernment comes up a lot in college, right? Um, right, definitely. And somebody <laughs> asked him like, well, what should I do? And he goes, look, if it's not a sin and you want to do it, just do it. If God doesn't want you there, he'll let you know somehow. And so yep, I've taken that, that like very like good that to heart and be like, mm -hmm. all right, like I like I'm not gonna kill myself over like what I should do for like a career or what I should do like if it's if it's a if it's a good right it's a good thing, right. um, just try it because like like how do you, how do we discern God's will other than like putting ourselves in positions to get the mm -hmm. feedback? Absolutely, I was uh, talking on the radio the other day, Waterloo Radio Station. We were talking about discernment and knowing God's will. And uh, there's something very clear. If you're discerning between something that's evil, something that's good, it's very clear. You do the one that's good always. Mm -hmm. um, but then whenever there's uh, opportunity between doing something good and then not doing anything, then you feel free to do the good thing. And then, but then the struggle becomes when you have two good things, um, then that's when we call a dilemma and we have to figure out what we want to do. Um, and so that, that kind of, uh, that it's very good advice because if it's a good feel free to do it if you're not going to be committing sin feel free to do it 
um, you you won't as long as you're not committing sin, um, you have a lot of freedom in that. Um, but I think once we have it, once you're boiling it down to um, making a decision between two goods, it becomes difficult. Um, but one of the greatest advice I heard from uh, one of the Dominican friars was um, never become part of the um, OPDs. Uh, so the order of preachers is the OPs. Um, the Franciscans um, are CFRs or different acronyms like that, but never join the OPDs, the Order of Perpetual Discerners. Um, so yeah, so the um, there's a saying, it's um, since discernment has become popular and decision has not been made since. Um, and so, so we have so caught up in this idea of discernment that I need to discern properly. I need to um, discern what kind of pudding I'm gonna eat today. What kind of pizza do I want? Um, do I get vanilla or chocolate? I need to make a discernment. Um, and I think we've overused that term um, to the point of like, no one's making decisions anymore. We have to make, we have to choose to do something. Uh, do I marry the girl? Yeah, marry her. If you think it's right, marry her. Don't spend discern for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I definitely think that that's great advice. If it's a good, go, go for it. And God doesn't want it. Ask that he destroy um, the paths um, that are leading you in the wrong direction. Um, so I pray that if the making order is not um, the path that God wants me on, that he'll just smash the bridge, destroy the bridge that I'm on heading that direction and he'll send me somewhere else. Um, but for right now, I think I'm going to trust in him and uh, head that direction. But absolutely, I think uh, when you're choosing between goods, it's difficult, but you just need to make a decision sometimes. Um, and not, not making a decision is the worst decision you can make because that is a decision. Yeah, that's true. I do like that, that you brought up that, that, that prayer of like, if this is not what your will, like destroy it. Like, I think like it's so beautiful in content, but it's such a difficult prayer when it's something that you actually mm -hmm. kind of want. Right, absolutely. Because you're never discerning between two good things that you, one you don't want and the other you do want. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's not a discernment. You're like, I want, I want that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, so yeah. it's like, do I want to marry uh, this beautiful woman who's uh, perfect in every way, or do I want to join this religious community who's perfect in every way and uh, gets you closer to God? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. But if it's uh, between uh, something, someone you don't even like, uh, yeah. it's like, oh, this woman, I don't even like her in this community I love so much. <laughs> not yeah, even like a decision. That's not a choice. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not a choice. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. <laughs> nice. So one thing we're going to do as when we put the story out is like, you know, a call to like people, to, you know, to offer prayer on your behalf. What would you, mm -hmm. are there any specific intentions that you'd like them to pray for, for you as, as you continue your, your discernment process, as you continue um, the, the process of joining the Dominicans? Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, I would love to ask people to pray three Hail Marys for me whenever you think about me. Um, for a number of intentions, but I think primarily, um, if you could just remember one intention would be uh, that I do the will of Our Lady. Um, that that would be the thing I want most in my life. And if I do the will of my lady, then I will know that I'll be doing uh, what is right. Um, and then the specific intentions, um, I pray that I increase in the virtues of faith, hope and charity um, for an ever increase in devotion to Our Lady and to our Lord. Um, and the clarity um, and knowing, and I guess this kind of, this will date really quick because, uh, <laughs> and knowing the, my choosing a name, because uh, uh, I want to be named by Our Lady so that I'd be given um, the name that I, that I, uh, that Our Lady wants me to have. Uh, so that intention as well, but that'll be, that'll get old and by August 8th, I already have picked a name. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, so those, those are primarily those intentions. Um, and if you can remember only one intention that I do the will of Our Lady, um, and for an ever increase in devotion to Our Lady. Mm -hmm. Perfect. I, lo I love that. That's, that's fantastic. 
thank you so much for taking the time to to talk to me today. And I really do wish you the best as you as you go forward and continue this process because we need more priests and we need more good priests. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. God bless. Part three, who's that saint? Today we are looking at the life of St. Vincent Ferrer. St. Vincent Ferrer, I think, is the uh, probably one of the epitomes of the Dominican order as well. Um, he said he was actually known as a master of, of um, sacred theology of St. Thomas by the time he was 16 years old. Oh, wow. um, brilliant man, yeah. And he went on, they end up calling him the angel of uh, judgment. Um, angel, uh, because he was um, he was told by God that he would uh, that if he would be going out and preaching and he would convert the world and if not, um, the end of the world would come and nobody believed him. They're like, okay, yeah, everybody preaches that the end of the world is coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so uh, some lady was bringing by a a uh, casket uh, with a dead um, woman inside, and Saint Vincent calls tells them to bring it here, and they bring the casket to him. They open it, and he tells the dead person, he said, "Tell them who I am." And she gets up from her her casket and says, "He is the angel of judgment." And then she lays back down dead. <clears throat> and so to prove that he was who he said he was. So he traveled around the world. Uh, he was the first person to give faculties to preach at anywhere in the world and to have no jurisdiction. So he could go anywhere he wanted. Um, so universal jurisdiction. And he would go and, um, and he would he converted entire mosques of Muslims. He would go and convert entire uh, synagogues of Jews. Um, he went to a mosque and preached. And afterwards, they named um, the mosque after Our Lady. He went and preached at a, at a uh, synagogue. And afterwards, they named it the True Cross. Um, and they all converted. Um, so he was a great uh, saint. And he would perform miracles all over the place. And so St. Vincent um, would bring an entourage of Dominican priests that every time he would preach, the priests would line up and hear confessions for hours um, because he would convert entire communities just by his preaching. If you made it this far, thank you for sticking with us. This whole project is a labor of love, but we want to hear from y'all. When did you welcome Mother Mary into your life? Let us know. Hit us up on social at CalCampusMen on Instagram and Facebook. Share this with your friends, family, coworkers, classmates, that cousin who needs to consider the religious life. Get thee to a nunnery. And a special thanks to Adrian Fonseca for taking this time to talk to us. We ask that you all say a rosary for Adrian, his vocation, and that God make him a great priest. You have been listening to Protagonists of Change. I'm Max Lindell, and until next time, Peace out.